0: Hello, and welcome to The Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This week we have Chris Brindley, MBE. Chris is the former chair of the Rugby League World Cup, the former managing director of Metro Bank, the current chairman of Greater Sport Manchester and Britain's best boss. Chris talks to us about strategies for leadership and life. He covers topics such as time management, how to get promoted, and how to lead a team. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. Before today's episode begins, I wanted to take a moment of your time to talk to you about our latest partner. Today's episode is brought to you by ClassVR from Avantis Education. ClassVR is an award-winning, all-in-one VR and AR system for schools. It's designed specifically to help raise student engagement and increase knowledge retention. I was first introduced to ClassVR back in 2017 when I was a deputy head teacher, and it provided me with creating exceptional learning environments. And it has done for more than 1 million students in over 100,000 classrooms in 90 countries across the globe. ClassVR is unique in that it was designed from the ground up solely for education. Headsets are classroom-ready, with everything an educator needs to deliver fully immersive VR and AR learning experiences to their students. And with thousands of curriculum-led resources, your children can walk with dinosaurs, hold a beating heart in their hands, or travel the world without leaving the classroom. Now, regular listeners will know that I'm a passionate educator, and I'm lucky enough to have experienced ClassVR first-hand in my classroom. And I can't tell you how wonderful it was to witness when my students were truly engaged in their learning. ClassVR empowers teachers to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. If you're interested, visit classvr.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Hi Chris, how are you? (laughs)
1: Ah, Dom, uh, great, thank you for asking. Uh, how are you?
0: I'm good, mate, I'm good. What have you been up to since I last saw you?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, we'd just finished the Rugby League World Cup uh, when, when I'd seen you. Um, so we spent a bit of time uh, putting the uh, finishing touches to that, uh, making sure we collected all the ticket revenue. Uh, and, and we looked back, John Dutton and I, and I think uh, we, we actually finished on the 31st of March uh, and John and I went for lunch together uh, just to reflect on what actually the, the, the journey had been like. And whilst there was lots of uh, challenges, we look back with immense pride. We delivered the biggest, the best, the most inclusive Rugby League World Cup ever seen. You know, I took great pride in seeing three Rugby League wheelchair games take place this weekend. You know, we've got a Super League now for women. We've got a Super League for wheelchair as well as a Super League for men. And whilst England uh, didn't get to the finals in either the men's, or the women's, the fact that we are world champions and won the World Cup final against France in Manchester. We, we believe that Rugby League you know, has, has, has sort of had a real boost and I think the attendances in the men's game and women's game uh, since the season started and the wheelchair game has, has been significantly more and having 35 million viewers on BBC and who were great uh, broadcast partners, uh, we look back with immense pride.
0: Yeah, and I think obviously knowing a little about what you've done, what you've achieved, having met you before, both of you, and then yeah. interviewed John and heard a little more about it, that the amount of things you had to overcome, the barriers that were put in your way, the different obstacles, we won't go over too many of them here because John has covered those in his podcast. Yeah. Fortunately for you, there, there's no duplication there. But,
1: but I, think, I think, Dom, it's no, it's, 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 it's the realisation, whether it's sport, business, education or life, it's not a straight road and it's not a flat road. There are zigzags, there are, there are, there are cul-de-sacs, there are bumps in the road. Uh, and I think the, the, you know, the lessons, as I say, whether it's sport, business, charity sector, third sector education, whatever, is understanding that you are occasionally going to fall and that's okay. Surround yourself with good people and get back up. Uh, it's okay to talk. It's okay to ask for help. I think those are some of the lessons from the challenges that we've been through. Um, we had huge amounts of resilience. We believed in what we were achieving on behalf of the athletes and the wider game. But occasionally it doesn't always work out right. And and, and you should just accept that that's not a personal thing about you. It's just the way uh, sometimes things happen. I think the real skill is um, not losing your belief uh, and, and getting you getting a good team around you to help you out. But does there come a point when, you know, you say
0: about not losing belief, does there come a point when it does make sense to stop persisting with a dream or an idea or a project?
1: Uh, Sometimes. Uh, Look, I think there's a phrase, isn't there, that when the horse is dead, get off it. I think on this occasion, we were really clear as a board. It's not the job of a a board to cancel a world event because I've never played professional sport. Boy, did I want to. I can't, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the opportunity, the the excitement of representing your country, and then representing your country in a World Cup. We had to carry on because athletes had trained for years uh, to play in that tournament. You know, we were we were gonna we were having teams, women's team from Brazil, Papua New Guinea. Cook Islands, it would have been the first time in some people's lives that they've travelled outside of their country, the first time that they've come to Great Britain, the first time that they've played at the likes of um, an, an Emirates stadium for Arsenal or a, a, an Old Trafford Manchester or a St. James's Park. It wasn't our job to say we're cancelling the tournament. Mm. And, and as I say, you know, we, we had a real belief it was the right thing to do. Supported tremendously well by government and UK sport in uh, supporting us past the cancellation. I think you have to look at each case on its merits. For me, having a World Cup that included men, women and wheelchair, we just had to carry on and do whatever it needed uh, to get that tournament. And I think the testimony is uh, the feedback that we got from uh, the viewers, the crowds, the athletes, um they just had a wonderful time and you know they'll remember fondly uh, the rugby league world cup 2021 that was played in 2022
0: I agree and you know obviously you've achieved many amazing things in your career which we will get into but just to reflect on that success you've had there and the fact you've referred to it quite a few times as a really successful team and a team that was all yeah. you know together i remember the last time we spoke you mentioned tlc so trust loyalty communication yeah developing that kind of strategy i mean how do you develop loyalty in a team? How do you develop trust? How is that done?
1: I, th- I think for me, I'm I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an avid reader of personal development. I don't tend to do a lot of fiction books, Dom, but you know, I'm really obsessed about learning from the best. And for me, uh, I learned an awful lot from Dr. Stephen Covey's book, uh, "The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People," and and he talks about building trust and loyalty. And you do that by caring. Uh, I, we're all human beings first. Therefore, uh, I focus on the, the, the individual. Uh, and if, if I can create a great environment in the workplace and also care about their home life as much as I care about them in the workplace, uh, I think people recognize that. An example being, you know, when I had one, one role, I walked into a a, a branch I was going to be responsible for and I saw a really unhappy lady on the counter. It was a Wednesday in June. Um, And I was going to be running that business. And I said, look, I hope you don't mind. I I just can't help but notice that you appear to be unhappy. And she said, well, I've I've been prevented from going to my son's sports day. And I just said, get your coat, just go. I'll do whatever I can. I'll speak to the, the branch manager and we'll get through it. But, you can't miss your child's sports day. And, and and you know, you don't get many opportunities to go to a child's sports day. You, they tend to start at four and five. And you definitely don't want to be going to a secondary school sports day because your kid wouldn't want you there. But a primary school, they would and they look for your face. So was this when you were managing director of Metro Bank? Uh, NatWest, that was. That was NatWest um, before Metro. And I just, I went back and said, look to everybody, if you're a parent of a young child, I think it's really important that you get to go to sports days and nativity plays. And let's be honest, it's not hard to plan for, is it? I'm pretty sure that this year's nativity plays will take place in December. Yeah. And, and sports days will take place in June, early July. And, and, and I think it's showing the care for the individual that they repay you back mm. with flexibility, with loyalty. And Covey likens relationships to like a bank account. The more you put in credit-wise, then the bigger the balance. So avoid the debits if you can. But sometimes you have to pass debits. You have to have some honest conversations with people. Um, But as long as you keep putting credits in the account, then the balance will be strong. When that balance is high and strong, then you've got a great working relationship. You've got a great personal friendship. Um, because we've all got lives outside of work, so I want people to have a great work time, uh, but a great home life as well. And my job's to make that happen.
0: I, you know, that that message of putting credit in the account, as you know, the first time we met, that really struck the chord with me because, uh, as, as I'm sure you remember, I came not long after my my son was born, and I had to put some serious credits back in that bank account. <laughs>
1: Well, and when and when you say not long after, you, you, I think the, uh, the the viewers and the, the listeners should realise that we're talking hours, not days or weeks.
0: Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's a difficult one because i committed to something, and I didn't want to let you guys down, and I didn't want to miss that opportunity, which has now led to me getting to know you, and obviously getting to know a, a lot of other people too. And we're sat here today as a result, sharing this these stories that we're about to share with people because we met that day. So. You know, I guess it can be viewed in two different ways. Yes, I maybe did make a selfish decision, but it's led to helping others.
1: Look, look Dom, if that was a debit passed, then the, the account went down a bit. But if the account was healthy anyway, then it's not taking you close to an overdrawn or a bankrupt relationship. It's a debit. and And life is about trade-offs. Life is about making sacrifices. Go and speak to any elite athlete. They'll tell you that either themselves and or their parents have made a tremendous amount of sacrifice for a, for a goal that is really, really important to them. You know, I, I was uh, involved in rugby league at, at domestic level. And whereas summer sport. You know, players don't go on a summer holiday with their kids during the six weeks holidays because actually they're playing. So, you know, but that's a trade-off. That's a sacrifice for, you know, a career that they love, the opportunity to build something for the family, for the rest of the lives. Um, so there's always going to be a conversation about trade-offs. And, and you, you know, they're, they're the things that I talk about, lessons in sport, lessons in business. And we mentioned John Dutton earlier. John was absolutely world-class at negotiation and actually getting to the right decision and looking at those trade-offs and, and everybody wanting to come to the right conclusion. So, you know, for me, you, you made... Uh, a decision, and look at that decision now you 've created you know a great set of friendships that will that will transcend just the program you 're on um, that will be there for the rest of your life you know you 're at a game tonight with one of the cohort you'll be traveling back um it 's really special um but you made that decision. had you made a different decision, we might not be here now,
0: yeah, and I think possibly coming from the world of sport it was a you know it was a quite a simple decision to make because when When I am home, I I am as present as possible, you know, phones down and with my kids and with my wife. When there's ever anything big on, I always prioritise it. I'll be there hopefully for every sports day for my kids because I'll make sure I'll book it off with enough time and I've got a great boss. And then when those moments happen that are unforeseen, as you know, turning up a few hours after the birth of my son to come to an event um, that I booked on, You know, being there was so important because there was nothing I could do in that moment. You know, I'd been sent away anyway. I was going home to sleep and it was either sleep, which I couldn't do. It was full of adrenaline. Or it would yeah. do something productive with my time and, and commit to something I promised I would do. And it, again, it was a very easy decision for me to make in that moment because I don't see it as a sacrifice. I see it as something I want to do, I'm happy to do, and a necessary moment of tiredness or whatever it might have been to overcome. And But, it, you know, that is gone. I was tired. I've slept since. I'm fine now. Whereas if I hadn't turned up, I wouldn't be where I am today.
1: Uh, Dom, I'd really encourage everybody watching and listening just to rewind and listen to you tell that story because it was a great example for me of you having some really clear thinking and criteria about your decision making process you turned around and said I couldn't do anything I was sent home I had a choice between sleeping or learning um, you know it wasn't a sacrifice it was an investment as a result of that you've caught up on your sleep uh, you, 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 you know, your newborn son recognises you. You're still present when you go home. So for that very short term decision, you've got a massive long term benefit. As you say, if you got home and slept for 48 hours, you'd, you'd have not um, got the return on the investment that you've now got. But I, I would encourage everybody just to go back and listen to the clarity of thinking that you had there, because you absolutely had all the bases covered. Uh, that's why he made a really good decision.
0: So just to help me with that and take it a step further. I've got quite a few friends that would be listening to this podcast whether they're yeah. in sport, obviously most of them are in education, and there are sacrifices we're asked to make every day, whether that's be, a, you know, a really big commute or taking on more responsibility for not very much money. Do you have a formula or advice or anything small and tangible that we could share with listeners today that helps them Distill things in a way I just did without thinking about. By the way, so thanks for pointing that out because I would never have noticed I did it. But what can you help translate to yeah. our listeners when it comes to? Let's use that as an example. We've got yeah, we've got a teacher listening today. They've been offered a promotion. This promotion is only yeah. an extra three or four or five grand a year, which sounds a yeah. lot, but it's not for the level of responsibility that person yeah. now has to take on. They get no additional time to do their role, yeah. but they've been given extra money. So it's you know that's the trade off. You're losing yeah. time in exchange for this money, which isn't very much after tax, is a very difficult one because not much money, lots more responsibility, no time, less time. How do they come to the decision that that's the right thing to do or not?
1: Well, f- first of all, I- I'd ask the question do you have a long term goal? Um, and if people have a long term goal that sees them becoming a head teacher, director of education, you know, I wanted to be in sport and. Therefore, you have to make a decision. And instead of it being sacrifices or challenges, I call it choices. So I've got two children, and I always have talked to my children about um, you have a choice. but You need to understand why you make a choice. So for me, if if that short-term decision means you might not get a lot more money uh, and you might lose a bit of time, but that moves you closer to your ultimate goal, you have a choice to make about whether or not that is a good thing for you, not just short-term, but maybe medium or long-term. So I talk about my journey into sport. I woke up on my 40th birthday. I'm an obsessive goal-setter, Dom. I do short-term goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, quarterly goals, and I do big, hairy, audacious 10-year goals. So I'm a 40-year-old executive for a bank. And my wife knows I'm an obsessive goal-setter. So I wake up on my 40th birthday and she went, go on then. That was not happy birthday, go on then. And, and I went, what? She went, I've been with you since you were 19, that's 21 years. I know you. You must have a big goal that you're going to share with the world on your 40th birthday. And I burst out laughing because she knows me too well. Um, and she reads my face brilliantly. And I went, yeah, I have. She went, go on then. And I went, Okay. Uh, By my 50th birthday, I won't be working full-time for anybody. I'll be out of the corporate world. I'll be working for myself, and I'll be a respected sports administrator. She burst out laughing. (laughs) And I went, what are you laughing at? She went, hang on a minute. She went, I know you love sport, but you're not involved in it. You've never played it professionally, but I know you've got a passion for it. So what makes you think you're going to be a respected sports administrator? She said, we'll cover the fact that you don't want to work full time a little bit later on. And I, and I said something, she reflects back now, she said, Chris, what you said was had a really profound effect, and I knew from that moment on you'd succeed. And you said, I, I said, I'm going to go back and do my apprenticeship in sport. I said, and therefore, I know, uh, even though I'm an exec of a bank, I'm going to have to go right back and learn. I'm going to have to go and do... Work um, that's rolling my sleeves up I'm going to have to go into some uncomfortable places I'm going to have to do my day job as well as other work which means a little bit less time with you and a little bit less time with Sam and Emily but when I get there and I've stopped working full time for you know, any organisation what I'll do is I'll make sure that I'm present when, in the 10 years and when the 10 years are up I'll spend a lot more time and we'll have weekends together and she said that because you were so determined because you had a real goal i didn't mind working harder i didn't mind doing my apprenticeship i didn't you know i was a voluntary chair of a sports charity for 12 years i never claimed a penny in expenses even though i travelled a lot for it but it's because it moved me towards my goal mm. so i never lost sight of the goal about what it would mean for me so when i started work it was for security at the age of 18 I knew by the time I got to 50 and my children were grown up and you know were, were, were in a good place, that it wasn't about the money. It was about me following a passion, um, me using some of the skills I'd learned along the way of good governance, uh, running a business, thinking strategy, um, how I could help uh, a sports charity and a sport organisation become better at serving um, the community. I never lost sight of that so therefore when the going got tough it was the goal that always enabled me to continue and work through it and that's a long answer but that's what I'd say to people what's your goal and is the decision you're going to make is the choice you're going to make does it get you towards your goal even if it's a tough one if it gets you closer that should be enough motivation to want you to carry on towards that goal
0: Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they had to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. So, when you're writing your goals, what does it look like? And our, oh. our listeners at home, how can they write? Yes.
1: So, well, I think it's specific. I think it has to have real clarity. You should be able to write it into a sentence. I think it, uh, people say some goals should be realistic. Mine was unrealistic. uh, And I was okay with that because uh, sometimes you have to uh, look beyond your comfort zone. So I, I always go, what do I really want to do? So I've got clarity. I always set a timeline. So what um, I do with a goal is go, I look into the future, and if it's my 50th birthday, I visualize that. And you speak to many athletes at elite level, they're always visualizing what it would be like to stand on the podium or collect the medal by the pool or wherever. Um, and then I break it down into chunks and come back to today. So I know I can walk forward. So the example I often give is, you know, if I've worked with a high jumper, and they know that their goal is to win a medal in four years' time, an Olympic cycle, then we'd sit there and say, what what do you think you'll need to jump to win that medal? And let's say it's eight centimetres. So you know that to get on that podium, it's eight centimetres. But that's four years away. I can't jump eight centimetres higher tomorrow. But What I can do is break that goal down into bite-sized chunks. So that's two centimetres a year for four years. That's one centimetre in, in a, every six months. That's a quarter, half a centimetre in a quarter every three months. If I sit down with somebody and say, can you make a small improvement in the next three months? The answer is yes. I'll go, great, let's create a programme where we'll do a small improvement followed by a small improvement followed by a small improvement. And And as a result of that, you create a belief system that actually, whether it's marginal gains, if you want to call it that, or bite-sized chunks, or in good to great, Jim Collins talks about moving the flywheel. It's just breaking that goal down into really small, attainable tactics that enable you to move forward step by step by step. And there's a great book by John Whitmore called uh, Performance Coaching. Mm. And he talks about the model called GROW. So the G stands for the goal. The R stands for the reality of where you are now. And the difference between the reality of where you are now and the goal is what's known as your performance gap. So if I want to jump eight centimetres higher, that's my goal. The reality is I can't jump that yet. I'm eight centimetres away. That's the performance gap. The O in GROW stands for the options. So what options do you have to achieve your goal and bridge that performance gap? So that's when you can break it down into a a quarter or a half a centimetre every three months. And then the W stands for will, the will to do it. What are you prepared to do? What choices are you prepared to make? When are you going to start? What might get in the way? What will the barriers be? How will you overcome them? What will the enablers be? Who do you need in your team? So I love the GROW model. So setting a goal is clear in the future, knowing what it's going to look like, then breaking it down into chunks, and then following the grow model, it's always worked for me, and I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for John Whitmore when he wrote his book um, that he put the grow model in there because it really has had a significant influence uh, on my career, both in business, in sport, but also sitting down with my kids uh, and mapping out some of their futures.
0: I think the twenty-four-seven thirty-one plan is a really nice yep. part as well. I know, obviously, if you could elaborate on that in a second, but. What I've done with it, I've taken it to my staff. In, in my teams, I've just hired uh, three secondees. So they've been seconded yeah. from their current roles to work in an executive leadership role with me, obviously in specific areas. So the idea is that I want each of the schools I'm responsible for to improve in these three areas. Well, how do we yeah. do that? These three people will achieve certain things in the next 30, 31 days for the next seven yeah. months until that are yeah. ends. So Every time we meet, there's a 24-hour goal. Then there's the seven-day goal. Then there's where are we going to be in 31 days. And I'll always check in to make sure they stay on track. And I'll always check in with the 24-hour one because that's the one I think, having spoken to you before, that's the one that slips quite easily, the 24-hour yeah. rule. People forget that first step.
1: Yeah. yeah. Look, look, look there's, a, there's a great Latin phrase, Dom, called "actor non verba, uh, which is actions, not words. And, you know, one of my roles in life is 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 I have the pleasure of going out and doing keynote speeches to different organizations in sport and business. And and I always wanted to reflect on, do I want this just to be a speech and it's forgotten, or do I want people to be better at who they are and what they do? And how can I give them a little bit of structure around that? And that's when I came up with the 24-7-31 concept. And, 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 And it can be flexed in many, many different ways. But ultimately, what I wanted people to do was take an action in the next 24 hours. So if I'd recommended a book and I've recommended some books already, the 24 might be within the 24 hours, I'm going to go on Amazon and I'm going to order Good to Great or COVID's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Performance Coaching. And I'd go, that's a gift to yourself. Then you might need a little bit of thinking time. So what would you achieve at the end of the seven days? So you, you might have ordered the book, seven days, you might have read the book. Uh, Then I go, but if you need a little bit longer, when can you see some sustainable change? Because there's lots of research that talk about habits being created in 31 days. So I sit there and go, bite-sized chunks, small, easy, do now, give yourself some time to plan for the seven days, give yourself some time to plan and execute for 31 days. And often, if I'm talking to an audience, one of the variances I have on the 24 7 31 is I sit there and say, if you're in the audience, do something for yourself in the next 24 hours. Then you're either lead a team or you're part of a team. What are you going to do to make your team better in the next seven days? Then what are you going to do to make your business better? in the next 31 days and often i'll ask people to send an email to their ceo within the next 31 days with one idea on how they can make the business better and some ceos went flipping heck chris i'm going to get 200 emails i went no you're not you're going to get 200 ideas on how to make your business better and i can guarantee that some of those ideas will be brilliant had you not done 24 7 31 you wouldn't have got the ideas so I always want people to take the immediate action, the short-term action within a week, and then reinforce it within the month. And, you know, you could do six months, 12 months, and really have those check-ins that you have done, just to get people to take that action. Because it's often the starting of it that is really important. Then people have a bit of a lag. So there's a, there's a model by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross called The Change Curve um and and often we have that dip and that's when we're at the bottom of that dip we give up if people have tried to stop smoking or drinking or lose weight there's a moment where they just go Oh, sod it well actually having a good coach or a good boss enables you to not give up at that moment they actually get you through that moment so actually you start to bring about that sustainable change that you set off um originally by setting your goal with so what advice would you have to
0: somebody that has set these goals? They've got it, you know, it's all written yeah. down. They're ready to go. They're motivated. They, yeah. you know, they've monitored themselves through the Kubler-Ross cycle because they've listened to the yeah. podcast today. They know what it is. They've hit the bottom. They think, okay, they've bounced back on four a few times. And now yeah. they're really struggling. They're struggling to pick their motivation yeah. back up. What would you advise to that person? How do they get through that point And how do they avoid the dips or peaks and flows in motivation?
1: Yeah. So, so right at the start, share your goal. Right at the start. Share it with people. A lot of people don't want to share the goal, Dom, because they're scared of failing. Hmm. Well, if you share it with people who care about you, you won't fail. Why? Because they'll hold you accountable (laughs) as well as you holding yourself accountable. Get a good team around you. Talk to them about that moment of dip and the vulnerability you'll go through. Ask them if you can ring them for help or meet them. So, if you know the dip's coming and the Kubler uh, Ross curve shows you when it's coming, right, stages three and four, mm. then actually getting your team around you, because you want your team around you to give you the motivation and the confidence and the support to get you through it. That's what good teams do, they look after the mates. And in rugby league, we've got a great example of that. Um, with Kevin Sinfield. Kevin's now England Rugby Union backs coach. But, you know, when asked why does he do the ultras, why does he do the seven marathons in seven days, why did he run between Leicester and Leeds, he's really clear. He's doing it for a mate, and that mate's Rob Burrow, that has been, you know, struck down with a terrible disease called motor neurone disease. So just having people around you um, actually is the way to get through those moments. But don't leave it until you're going through the moment. Get your team on board early. Share your goals. Ask your mates to give you high support, but also give you high challenge. Tell you when you're not actually showing the level of commitment because that's what, that's what the best performers and the best coaches do. They do high support and high challenge because sometimes it's the challenge we need as well as the support.
0: That's a really good point, I think having spoken to joe foster as you know the the founder yeah. of reebok he spoke a lot about identifying gatekeepers so the people that are the people that hold the keys or can open the gate to a future yeah. that you want to have i thought that was a really nice way of putting it but you've made me think a little bit differently there i think sometimes who we select and allow into our inner circle you know is all very well sharing ideas with the people in our inner circle but if they're the wrong type of person or the wrong type of personality or have the wrong interests it doesn't necessarily always translate to getting the best from us. So in your experience, have you got any opportunities to share with us examples of times that you've maybe let the wrong people in to your inner circle? And then what did you do yeah. about that?
1: Well, sometimes you pick family and friends yeah, as your inner circle, but they love you. Yeah. Often therefore the relationship won't be high support and high challenge. It'll just be high support with no challenge. So they'll agree with you and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, I know it's cold today. Don't go out running if you're running a marathon. Oh, it's rainy. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you should stay in today. Whereas somebody who isn't that close, somebody who's objective will say, if you want to stay in today and make that choice, the person you're competing against will be out running. Therefore, if you continue with those choices, do you still think you'll win the gold medal? so sometimes the thing I love about mentors is they're not emotionally connected to you therefore they can be really objective whereas if you pick a mate they they might get so emotionally involved in wanting to keep you happy and agree with you they might not give you the right challenge so for me that's the difference. I always look for in mentors, somebody who isn't just going to agree with me, Mm. somebody who's going to really ask me some searching questions about myself, about my motivation, about my ultimate goal, you know, what I'm prepared to do in terms of choices. So again, I think for for people listening is, you know, go get a mentor, but don't pick your mate because they're your mate, not your mentor. So, you know, I've often picked people uh, who've just agreed with me and I've looked back and I've gone, I should have just picked somebody who didn't know me, who just asked me the independent question, who asked me the tough question about me uh, and about what it is I wanted to achieve. So that's probably the guidance and advice I'd give. It's
0: interesting to me as well, you know, we've spoken about this off camera. Half of the people I've interviewed on this podcast, completely coincidentally, have either worked with you or you've worked with specifically and and supported them in a role or in a mentoring place. So obviously that is testament to the level of influence that you have. Who's the person that has had the biggest influence on you at at a particular point in your life?
1: Uh, without Without a shadow of a doubt... The most recently, and I'm talking 1995 onwards, is a guy called Jack Black. Uh, and, and I don't mean the American actor. Ah, uh, Jack, that would have been yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, good film. <laughs> I, I went to an event in Birmingham, uh, the National Sales Conference, and it still exists, and it's still my favourite day out uh, of the year. And it just has guest speakers there. And Jack Black spoke And he he talked, uh, I describe it as mental architecture. So he talked about the power of your brain. And he did some exercises on stage that day. Uh, And and he did one um, that meant that I've not touched coffee since 1996, since that day. That's how powerful it was. And he ran a company called Mind Store. And I got the books, I got the tapes, I met Jack. Uh, And even to this day, I look to go meet him um, and see him in action once a year because he gave me some really brilliant tools and techniques, goal setting being one of them, uh, about setting that unreasonable goal. Uh, He talked about choices. He talked about how your brain really influences um, your behavior and the quality of your thinking. Uh, getting good people around you, so definitely talk about Jack Black in, in giving me a structure. I sort of had a lot of the qualities anyway. I was always motivated. I was always ambitious. Uh, I, you know, I was keen to learn. But Jack, Jack gave me a real structure through his through his teachings. Um, and you know, earlier than that, we go right back to my childhood. My mum, my mum just taught me about values. She taught me about right from wrong, and she said manners cost nothing um you know ask you know offering to help people cost nothing so my mum gave me some great stuff I had a great PE teacher at primary school Uh, I had a great secondary school head teacher I wasn't very good academically and I'm 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 going upwards when I say I wasn't very good I think the reality of me results were just awful but it didn't motivate me it was PE and sport that motivated me but the primary school teacher my mum, and the secondary school headmaster they, they taught me about how I could use the lessons in sport to get me through life. Communication, you need to communicate with teammates. You need to be a great team player. You need to prepare. You need to problem solve. And, and they, they, they were almost talking to me in language through sport. And that's why I think sport is a real vehicle um, for helping people learn about life. Um, so, you know, those are the sort of influences on my life. And again, another one is a guy called Tony Whelan, who's, uh, the Academy advisor at Man United. Tony came to my school when I was nine years old, um, to do some coaching. Uh, and I didn't see him again for 15 years until I went to do my coaching badges, um, and he became a tutor. Wow. Um, and, and as a result of doing my coaching badges through football, I learned how to coach in the workplace. And as a result of that, I started leading teams. Um, as a result of that, my lack of academic rigour didn't matter. I could just get you know teams to set a goal together, work together, collaborate, problem solve. And therefore, I've always looked to being in teams because I think the power of teams is something really special and we can achieve the unachievable.
0: So... Onto the subject of teams, then you've had an amazing yeah. career. If you would, you do me a favor and just rattle off some of the highlights of what you've done, and then there's something specific I do want to talk about.
1: Yeah, look, look, I, I started in that West printing checkbooks, uh, you know, and there was thousands of us that year that did, um, I, I, and I remember sitting down with my admin manager on day one, and I said, "What's the record number of checkbooks printed uh, in a day?" And he went, "Why on earth would you want to know that?" I said, "Well, I want to beat it." because um, you know through sport it was personal best yeah. I, I always want to be, be the best version of myself uh, look, and as a result of that i got the opportunity to work in personnel as it was then because i'm chatty i'm curious uh, and, I, and i got a job in head office personnel um and as a result of that i had a great boss called colin cooper he helped me really think about um my career and he, he again he, he, we acknowledged the academic uh, shortfalls i had but he said you've got you know, what we possibly know now as emotional intelligence. You can get people and influence people. You can be part of a team, you're a hard worker. Uh, And as a result of that, um, I got given one of the first ever sales jobs at NatWest. And again, more personality and uh, being able to manage stakeholders, build good relationships. I did well at that. And I got given the first uh, mortgage advisor team to set up. And again, just love being in teams and uh, leading teams. As a result of that, I became the regional sales director. Then I became the managing director. Uh, Then I wanted to test leadership outside of my technical knowledge. So I went from banking to gas. I worked for British Gas and had a great time there. Um, I knew nothing technically about the boilers and the central heating systems, but that wasn't my job. My job was to uh, get a team together to actually go out and make sure that between the engineers, the marketing team, the sales team, we just went out and made uh, people at home get the best central heating and the best amount of hot water or heat pumps or whatever we went out and installed. And then I got the opportunity to join Metro Bank. It was the first high street bank in over 150 years. It was based on two things, culture and customer uh, and, and if I go through my life, um, being part of great cultures and uh, creating a great customer experience is what I really, really love doing. As a result of that, I had a, a, a real great time at Metrobank. But I'd set that goal at finishing at the age of 50. I failed miserably. I was 51 and one month yeah. when I actually stepped away from Metrobank. Um, but by then, I'd become a board member of the Rugby Football League. And then subsequently, I had the privilege. Uh, of chairing the Rugby League World Cup. I've worked with Olympic athletes like Beck Adlington, Beth Tweddle, Steve Parry. I've helped them uh, understand business uh, and they've got a great swim and gym business. Uh, So I've worked for the Manchester Football Association. I've chaired Greater Sport. I'm trustee of a charity called Switch the Play, which helps athletes transition from the world of sport into the world of work. Um, I'm currently at the board of the professional body for sports leadership. That's helping people in sport grow and get bigger roles through practical application and practical experience. And I'm also the chair of Manchester Active. I'm a born and bred Mancunian. I'm incredibly proud of my city. And Manchester Active is about getting people in Manchester um, more active more often through the vehicle of sport. And we've got some global events come in. We've just announced the Davies Cup to be played in Manchester. We've got the World Taekwondo and World Disability Taekwondo. We've got the World Paralympic uh, Swimming Championships right through to grassroots uh, at Cholton Park and Uffendor, where, uh, you know, I I used to play as a kid. So, uh, you know... I've been blessed, uh, I've worked hard, um I've learned along the way, I've had some great teachers, coaches, mentors. Um so yeah, look, I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm late 50s now. Um but I I love what I do and hopefully that comes through.
0: You do seem to give a lot of time away. Is there a trade-off there and how do you justify that time in your head? Because I know lots of people that I'm friends with, I'm colleagues with, Will give time to people, and they feel begrudging yeah. when they don't get it back, or they won't give time to people yeah. because they're too busy. I mean, what's your what's your thought process around time?
1: Look, look, I, I, can I can I share my 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 mission statement yeah. with with you, Dom, and with everybody? I, I, I was fascinated by leadership as a kid. I, as I said, I wasn't academic. I, I, I read leadership books, um, business, military, sport, everything. And one of the things that came through really clear, I think I was about 19, was the clarity of thought, that whole goal setting bit, the the people who who I read about and admired who've achieved a lot had real clarity of thought. So I I wrote down a mission statement for me. Um, And the mission statement was to consistently deliver outstanding results and develop winners in life. And beneath that statement are three pictures. There's somebody crossing the line first because I'm competitive. I like to win. I think people who win set standards for others to to follow. Roger Bannister, four-minute mile, et cetera. Um, And then I have three arrows and a bullseye because I'm obsessed with excellence. I want to get it right first time every time um, because that means um, I'm not wasting any time. Uh, And then the, the, the third picture, which is the most important to me personally, is somebody at the top of the mountain helping somebody at the bottom up. I was blessed with a wonderful mother, no longer with us, sadly. Um, And she used to instill in me, it was my job to serve others. So the example that will never leave me uh, until my dying days is if my mum wanted something from the shops and I was a fast runner, she would always say, go and knock on three old ladies' doors. It was Mrs. Law, Mrs. Fanning, and Mrs. Parsonage. And I want you to get their stuff from the shops and I want you to go and get it for them. Because by the time you get to the shops and get back, they'll have just put the coat on and got to the end of the street. So my mum instilled in me, it was almost my job to serve others. Mm. And and that's never left me. And I I, I willingly give time, Dom, um, because people have given me time whether that was Ray Woods, my primary school teacher, Tony Whelan through my coaching uh, exams, whether that was Colin Crofts, my secondary school head teacher, Graham Hardy, a boss at United, they've all given me time. And I think they gave me a button that it's my responsibility to then pass on. And people say, how do I find the time? Well, it, I think it's pretty easy. Time is fixed. You've got 24 hours today, I've got 24 hours today, anybody watching's got 24 hours. We've got seven days, so I can't control time, but what I have a complete choice over are what activities I undertake in the time allowed. Therefore, I probably can't tell you what's going on, Coronation Street, EastEnders or Love Island. I'm really sorry, can't help you with that. But I made a choice that I didn't think that was how I would consume time if I wanted to achieve my goals. Mm. So people might think I'm completely boring now. No, no, no. Will I watch um, Chelsea Real Madrid tonight? Absolutely, in full. And that's how I'll choose to relax. That's how I'll have my quality recovery time. But actually, I will still want to read some material tonight about leadership. I'll still want to prepare tomorrow for the VSI assessment centre and make sure that I'm absolutely warmed up. So when I get there tomorrow, I'll peak perform. Um, I'll then warm down. I'll then have quality recovery time, just like an elite athlete would do. And that's known as a peak performance model. And And then one other thing about why I'm always committed to helping people is you asked earlier about one of the influences. Jack Welch, when he was CEO of General Electric, a huge influence on me. You know, he he talks about winning in one of his books. He talks about radical candor. He talks about straight from the gut. And Jack Welch gave a model that, again, I've never forgotten, and it's been really helpful for me throughout my career. And the model is known as PIE, P-I-E. And, he, and he, asked the question, he was asked the question, how do people get on? And the P stands for performance. He said, but performance, people are often performing at similar levels. So you can't always differentiate. Jack Welch then said, what I look for in people, as well as performance, is their image. Are they flexible? Are they teachable? Are they a good team player? Um, do they do what they said they were going to do when they said they were going to do it, in the way they were going to do it? So I always get people to reflect upon their image. And then the E stands to exposure to decision makers and influencers. And funnily enough, the more people you go out and meet, the more exposure you get, more people start to recognize the image that you portray and the fact that you can align that with high performance. And and I look at some sports people who might have a really good P, but their I and their E are appalling. Mm. And as a result of that they tend not to have sustainable careers and the one example i use who somebody who's got a great pie is roger federer yeah Yeah. no one can deny his performance you know grand slam wins but you look at his image right he's always on the back page never on the front page he's got two sets of twins he understands his commercial responsibilities is amazingly polite He's amazingly humble. You know, he tweeted Andy Murray when Andy Murray became world number one. He tweeted, well done champ. You know, I've seen him forget his accreditation at tournaments. And instead of going, do you know who I am? He goes back and gets his accreditation because he knows somebody's doing the job and he respects that. So he's usually respectful, you know, and, and, and the exposure, whenever he's interviewed or he's, he's on different shows, he's just really, really humble and respectful of the people doing the job and spookily enough approaching the end of his career he did a 100 million dollar deal for uniglow yeah. um they weren't doing that deal on his performance as a tennis player they were doing it on his image and the exposure of their brand through Roger Federer so I, I always get people to think about what's their pie and I spent a lot of people spend almost every minute on performance not a lot of time on image and not a lot of time networking and getting to know people and learning from people about how they can be better at who they are and what they do.
0: You made me think of someone that I know that the image thing is something they don't consider at all. Yeah, um, They think a lot about performance. You know, they are very high performing. Yeah. They do have high exposure to decision makers and people of influence, but the image thing is something that they drop quite a lot. Would you say that that is because The image thing is more down to discipline. You have to be disciplined to develop an image. You can't just do it as a one-off and then expect it to last. It has to be every day.
1: Yeah, I think you have to, first of all, decide what image you want to portray to the world. Yeah. So I think having clarity of thinking, and we've talked about that a lot today. I think secondly, then, is the structure and discipline of uh, delivering on that image. and and always being consistent. So that's why I talk about wanting to be consistent. I want me to be consistent in my behaviours as well as my performance. And, you know, the reason I chose outstanding as one of the words in my mission is, I think when you wake up every morning, it's pretty easy to be mediocre. I don't think it takes a lot lot of effort, but to actually, to make sure that you are consistent and congruent, your personal values with your image, probably does take a little bit of extra work But that's okay, because I think those people with a good P, a good I and a good E are usually the ones that are really, really successful. Hmm. And, you you know, I I don't like the word luck. So I when I was doing my leadership reading many, many years ago, uh, I came across stoicism and in particular Seneca. Seneca describes luck as when preparation meets opportunity. For me, it's all about the preparation. Are you prepared to do what it takes to achieve your goals, live your values, live the life that you want? And sometimes people just can't be asked with their image. Well, if that's your choice, you might get the outcome you deserve.
0: Yeah, I think that's really fair. As, as usual, straight to the point, but fair. I think a, a story that really resonated with me was when you talked about your experience at Metro Bank. And the yeah. success that you had in, let's be completely frank, making Metro Bank part of the national consciousness because it was quite a, it wasn't as well known when you first got there and, and now it is. I think.
1: I, I think you are being very kind. I, I, I think ev- everybody in that team deserves that accolade, not me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's testament to the kind of person you are that you've shared that there. But what I will say is that you were part of that team and you led that team. So. How did you create a culture that moved that organisation so far forward? Were there any look? Let's be fair. There's people listening at home. We've spoken a lot, but can we start to distil these things down? What three things yeah. would, did you do, or would you do again? And then what thing would you avoid? Um you Went back and
1: really Yeah. First of all, live by your values. Hmm. And 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 our values are really clear. I've not worked there uh, now for, for almost eight years, I can still remember the values. We attend to every detail, we make every wrong, right. We ask if we're not sure, bump it up, zest is contagious, share it. We exceed expectations. And for our leaders, wanted leaders to inspire, to nurture, to game change. If you take the first letter of all of those words, it spells out amazing. We were really clear. We wanted to be amazing in everything we did. So first of all, it's absolutely living your values. Uh, I think secondly is we called it uh, outside in versus inside out. I know lots of businesses that inside the boardroom, they decide what the customers are going to get, whether they like it or not. I don't like that because um, some of the decision making is not in the customer's interests. Let me give you a real life example. Uh, There will be listeners, particularly in the UK, and I suspect throughout the world, if they want to phone their bank today or their phone company or their insurance company, they will get an automated voice response system. Mm. They'll say stuff like, press one for this, press two for that, and after pressing multiple buttons, you'll get a message saying, we're experiencing a really high volume of calls at the moment, yeah. um, your call is important to us. You see, that is utter bollocks because that's a classic inside-out decision. Never have I met one customer ever that said, I really like automated voice response. So how can an organization say, one of our values is we put the customer at the heart of everything and then install automated voice response? So, So I get frustrated with incongruence, so your values. So the outside in then is, Why don't we stand outside of our own business and ask ourselves, what is it the customers really, really want from us? And at Metro Bank, they wanted convenience, which is why we opened before every other bank. We closed after every other bank. We opened on Saturdays. We opened on Sundays. We even opened on on bank holidays. Bank holidays were when banks were shut. We We wanted to live our values of convenience So these are the things I think when people are are dealing with people, instead of you deciding what you think they want, why don't you go and walk a mile in their shoes? Why don't you go and ask them what they really, really want and then work out a way to deliver that? That's when you'll be on the outside, stood shoulder to shoulder with your client, your customer, and actually you're giving them what they've asked for and what they want, not giving them what you think they want that they've not asked for. That's where it usually ends up in a really poor customer experience. I would never normally
0: ask this question so directly, but because you're such a direct person, I will. What one mistake would you not go back and make again if you look back across your career? Normally, I'd say, tell me about an opportunity for growth. But because you're so direct, let's use that word mistake. Is there anything you've ever done that you thought I've really messed up there or that was wrong or I would change that if I could?
1: Look, if, if, if I start doing that, we'll be here for weeks <laughs> and years. I make mistakes all the time. Yeah. Right. And do, do I wake up and say, I'm going to make a mistake? No. So suppose the question is I, there's nothing that jumps to mind. I go, that's a horror story. Yeah. Um, but I have made mistakes. And as I say, I've made probably half a dozen today. The question I've got is, and I always ask myself, is what am I going to learn from that? So it should be win or learn not win or lose. The opposite of, of right is left. Too many people think the opposite of right is wrong. Mm-hmm. If you go to some countries, and I look at America, actually, if you set up a business and it doesn't work out, that's a learning opportunity. If that's sometimes in the UK, you're labeled a failure for life. Yeah. So, so you know, how could we ever try new things if we're fearful of making a mistake? My primary school teacher, Ray Woods, and I mentioned him earlier, um, had a great phrase. He said, he who never made a mistake, never made anything. Part of our journey of life is the learning journey. So I'm not afraid to try something because I might make a mistake or I might fail. I'll evaluate the options, I'll evaluate the risks, I'll do all of that, I'll have clarity of thinking but I'd never get out of bed in the morning if I was scared of making a mistake. So the answer is I've made lots, Dom. I can't recall, as I say, a real horror story. Um, but I've made lots, and you'll meet lots of people who know me who will quickly tell you uh, the ones I've made. Um, but what I always want to do is learn from it, recover from it. And there's a great, uh, a great American called Larry Wingate, and he has a great, really simple phrase, admit it, fix it, move on.
0: I like that. I think that's a really good example of a growth mindset. And I think yeah. just just before we go, um, if you could look back at your career and go back and tell a young Chris some yeah. advice, what would you go back and give? What advice would you give?
1: Uh, stick to your values. Mm. I've got in trouble on many times in my career for sticking up for what I believed in. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a great program called Be Yourself at Work, run by the wonderful Liz Villani. Uh And she, she gets you to really think about your core values. And my core value, when you drill everything away, is a sense of justice. My mum taught me, right, to do things properly. She told me never to lie, cheat and steal. Um, so I've got a really keen sense of justice. And if I see somebody being wronged, then I'll stand up for that person. And often it's got me in trouble, but I don't care because it was the right thing to do.
0: I love that. My mind is blown now. I'm absolutely full of ideas. This is what every time I've spoken to you, it's like this. It's meant to be a nice end to the podcast and I've got more things I want to go and run with. I'm thinking of my 24 731 plan. Chris, it's been amazing talking to you, mate, and it's really nice to see you. Looking forward to seeing you in the next couple of days as well.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Dom, it's been a pleasure. Look, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if anybody who's heard this it would be helpful if they did a message alongside it telling me from the podcast because I don't accept every mm. uh, speculative invitation so if people want to link in with me please mention uh, that you're part of the podcast uh, group listening uh, viewers uh, and we we'll can connect and I can perhaps take the opportunity to answer any questions that your, your listeners and your viewers might have brilliant but from me to you thanks for the opportunity I've loved it I look forward to seeing you over the next couple of days
0: amazing look forward to it mate thank you so much for your time
1: Pleasure. All the best, buddy.
0: Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. A big thanks to all of you for listening today. If you've liked what you've heard, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, completely free of charge. See you next time.